Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. The third Sunday after Trinity, Luke 15, 1-10. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, though we easily forget all our own sins, we sternly censor the sins of others. As insignificant as we generally regard sin, so easily do we refuse to forgive certain sinners. Though a pertinent person advances himself at the expense of his neighbor, though he says to the nugget of gold, my comfort, though a rich man may oppress the worker, though with his money he may practice the most blatant extortion, though he may sell his wares on the black market, this the world very easily forgives. Yes, it does not call this theft, which needs forgiveness, but proof of living by shrewdness. But if a person once becomes guilty of theft, it considers him unfit to return as a member of its respectable community and unworthy of its love and trust. A dissolute person may forget the trouble of his brothers, close his heart to their misery, feast and revel every day on costly wines and tidbits, stagger intoxicated to his bed every night, and this the world quite gladly forgives the rich. Yes. It calls him happy, because luck is so kind to him. But if it sees a coarse, uneducated person, intoxicated by drink lying in the gutter, it never considers that even the most deeply fallen has a dearly bought soul. Rather, it looks on him as the scum of humanity, for whom there is no grace, who is worthy of no pity. The world spurns him. Though a wanton person may live in secret shame, but outwardly observes public convention, the world quite gladly covers all his works of darkness with the mantle of love by calling it excusable weaknesses. On the other hand, if a person is disgraced through the revelation of a great fall, then in the eyes of the world he is indelibly branded. Though a person may be irreconcilable throughout his whole life, though he may carry a burning hatred and unquenchable thirst for vengeance, That the world does not consider murder. It calls this noble pride. On the other hand, if a common murderer is brought to justice, it believes that such an evil person can never be equal of a good man. It considers it only an empty gesture when such a sinner confesses that he has received the forgiveness of his sins and the certainty of his salvation. Yes, 
If he sincerely admonishes the honorable world to repent, it considers this intolerable hypocrisy and imprudence. In short, though a person may never esteem God or ask about him in all his dealings, though he, he neither fears nor loves nor trusts God, but makes himself his God, does the world care? As far as it is concerned, he is an honorable man, as long as he keeps up his good reputation before men. On the other hand, if one of his sins makes light of his shame before men, he loses his good name. If his sins are disgraceful, the world contemptuously presses him by. It is ashamed of him. The world does not want to taint itself by associating with such a sinner. It considers all work to reclaim him in vain and leaves him to his fate. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, were minded as the world, then miserable sinners would be in a wretched circumstance. Then those who know their vanity, unworthiness, and sin most keenly, who regard them the greatest, who are the most humble and hunger the most for grace, would be the very ones who would be the most without comfort. Let all frightened sinners who desire grace be happy. However, it is not so. Christ is the merciful Samaritan. He does not pass even by the most miserable and deeply fallen person. Yet Christ expressly says, Those are well who have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 5. In another passage he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19. Even the prophets in the Old Testament, who had prophesied about the Messiah, had predicted this. In the prophet Ezekiel, the Savior himself is introduced as speaking, As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat among the strong I will destroy." I will feed them in justice, Ezekiel 34. We find the fulfillment of this most comforting prophecy in today's text. We actually hear and see how Christ faithfully seeks the lost. Let us now pasture our souls on this lovely, friendly truth. Luke 15, 1-10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost." Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
so far our text. Christ seeks the lost. On the basis of this matchless gospel, let us now direct our devotion to this truth. We seek the answer to the following two questions. Which lost does Christ seek, and how does he seek them? At the beginning of our gospel, we are told, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. We hear at one time, All kinds of sinners drew near to Christ. In a friendly manner, they were all received, even the greatest sinners, even those who were the most despised. The Pharisees and the scribes who wished to be holy were greatly offended. They insinuated that Christ must not be just too holy himself. He must find sin not too hateful, since he demeans himself with godless people. And what does Christ do? Does he try to excuse himself by saying that these sinners forced themselves upon him and that he could not defend himself? Not at all. Christ shows by means of several parables that he could do nothing else than faithfully receive all lost and earnestly search for them until he had found them. The first answer to the question, which lost does Christ seek, is that Christ seeks all lost without distinction. Now then, who belongs to the lost? My friends, they are not only those who still wander about in the desert of heathenism without any knowledge of God and their Savior, not only those who have fallen into manifest unbelief and vice, and not only those who, as the prodigal son, have left the house of their pious parents and the society of Christians, thrown Christian instruction and urdent admonition to the four winds, forgotten their confirmation oath, go with the godless world in the way of all vanity, ask nothing more about God's word, nothing about church, nothing about communion, nothing about prayer, nothing about heaven and hell. A lost person can be one who walks with Christians, is in fellowship with them, outwardly lives like a Christian, speaks as a Christian, and is zealous for the kingdom of God, and so on. All people are by nature lost, for everyone comes into the world without true love, fear, and trust in God. He comes rather with a false love of himself, sin, the world, and its vanity. No one by nature lives in communion with God. The only difference is that one errs more in the thorny hedges of greed and love of money, the other more in the morass of lust, a third more on the steep heights of pride and self-righteousness, and the like. Otherwise, all men have by nature wandered equally far from God. Christ, therefore, seeks all. In short, he seeks the whole world. For that very reason, the only begotten Son of God decided in eternity to become a man and sink into our misery. For that reason, he executed this eternal blessed counsel, redeemed and reconciled all men with God through his blood and death on the cross. He brought all men back into the arms of his heavenly Father. To seek all lost is Christ's business. As in the Old Testament, The high priest carried the names of all the tribes of Israel on his breastplate. So, Christ bears the names of all men on his heart. They are written in the book of his omniscience, engraved on his pierced hands. 
He makes no distinction. He seeks all lost, among the poor as well as among the rich, among the humble and despised as well as among the great and honorable, among the simple as well as among the learned, among the children as well as among adults. At every age until the end of days, in every land, among every nation. No person is so humble that Christ would refuse to look out for him or be concerned for the salvation of his soul. No person has wandered so far that he will refuse to hurry after him. No person has fallen so deeply that Christ will refuse to stretch out his hand to raise him up. No person has offended God and his Savior so grievously that he would refuse to receive him. No person is so vile a sinner that Christ would feel ashamed of him. No, Christ confesses before these proud, haughty, hypocritical, and self-righteous Pharisees that he is the friend of sinners particularly. He loves all sinners. His heart breaks over the misery of each one. He seeks all. None who come to him are pushed away. All are received. Does Christ make, make absolutely no difference among sinners? Yes, there is one difference, but not such as the world makes. The world distinguishes between great and small sinners. It calls him a great sinner who has fallen into manifest sin and vice. It calls him a petty sinner who lives honorably be he in his heart as he may. But according to God's word, the opposite is true. God looks, above all, at the heart. The most serious sins which a person can commit are the transgressions of the first three commandments. If no true fear, love, and trust in God lives in the heart of man, if he is proud and self-righteous, if he lives for himself, he is the most distant of all from God, even if outwardly he walks ever so decorously. The veneer of worldly respectability is worth nothing in God's eyes. Christ makes a far different distinction among sinners. Of course, he seeks all sinners, but he seeks the most carefully and loves the most tenderly those who begin to perceive their sins, become frightened because of their wanderings despair of themselves, and heartily desire to be shown the true way. Such were the tax collectors and sinners who, according to our gospel, drew near to Christ, for it says of them, they were all drawing near to hear him. Christ cannot push them away, even if the whole world takes offense. To take pity on them is Christ's joy and pleasure, even if they have fallen into the greatest, most manifest, and outrageous sins. We see this in the tax collector Zacchaeus, who had lived in undisguised deceit. When he desired to see Christ, the Lord immediately went cheerfully and graciously into his house and said, Today salvation has come to this house, Luke 19. Furthermore, we see this in the woman who had fallen deeply into the sin of adultery, who wet Christ's feet with tears over her sins, dried them with the hair of her head, and kissed them. Christ turned with the most gracious expression to her, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Luke 7. We see this, to cite still another example, in the criminal, whose sinful life finally nailed him to the cross. 
When at the gates of eternity he, with a contrite heart, confessed his guilt, Christ in the presence of all the world received him and promised, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23. Thus you see, my friends, what a friend of sinners Christ is. He seeks all lost. He deems no one too wicked. He is ashamed of no one. And because those who have fallen into manifest sins always come, first of all, to the knowledge of their sinfulness and unworthiness, he shows himself especially gracious and friendly to them. Oh, my friends, what comfort this is. From this you see that there is not one of us whom the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, does not seek. Christ bears all of us on his heart. He has followed us from the first moment of our life with his mercy. He would like to bring all of us back to his Father and finally gather us into his heaven. And with the eyes of the most tender love, he looks especially at those of us who have perceived their wanderings. He does not count the multitude, greatness, and grievousness of our sins in order thus to apportion the grace which he would show us. He merely asks whether we are sinners, whether we are lost and strayed. That alone moves him to receive us all. The question now arises, how does Christ seek the lost? Let us, in the second place, seek the answer to this question. Briefly, the answer is this. Christ seeks the lost by means of his sweet gospel. That is his voice, his shepherd's horn, his bait. We see this not only when he himself in our text preaches his gospel of grace to tax collectors and sinners. Christ also indicates this when he compares himself to a shepherd who goes after a lamb lost in the wilderness and calls for it loudly, and to a woman who kindles a light in order to find the lost coin. When the gospel, the teaching that Christ came into the world to save sinners by grace, is preached to a person, this is simply Christ's voice, who in that moment says to the person, Repent, you lost creature. Without me, you cannot be saved. Sin led you to ruin. You will not find true fortune either in the world or in yourself but everything that your heart can wish, perfect pasture, forgiveness of sins, God's grace, peace of conscience, freedom from death, judgment, hell, damnation, and eternal life in the most blessed communion with God, all his angels and the elect, all that you will find in me. Of course, Christ must always have the law, that is, the doctrine of sin, preach to that person whom he wants to seek. The reason is that most men do not know that they are on the wrong way. They almost always imagine that they are on the true way. Through the law, it must first become clear that they are really poor, lost sinners. But the law is not the true voice of Christ. Of course, it shows a person that he has erred. However, it knows of no way to escape or return. It says to a person, by your sins you have removed yourself from God and become his enemy. Ah, do you not see that you are going astray? In what else do you want to fall? Do you not see that the abyss toward which you are going is real? Whoa, you are lost. However, 
The gospel says, Be comforted, you straying lamb. You are not yet lost. See, here is your shepherd. Just confidently follow him, and you will be helped forever. Your good shepherd brings you to his flock, leads you on the green pastures of his grace, protects you from all danger, and will finally lead you to his heavenly flock through the gates of death that all the straying might hear this blessed voice of the gospel. Christ did not only send the holy apostles into the world to preach the gospel to every creature. He also established the holy ministry by which the shepherd voice of Christ should sound abroad until the end of days. Christ leads people in most wonderful ways so that they get to hear the voice of their good shepherd in this desert of a world. To many, Christ gives parents, who through baptism laid them, even as infants, in the arms of their good shepherd. From their youth up, Christ gave them to drink of the sweet milk of the gospel. Others, Christ led into schools, in which the young lambs are led on the pasture of the gospel. Christ leads others, who at first wander about in the world without a knowledge of Christ, and perhaps are reared in a false religion, to find Christian books, or a Christian friend who pointed them to Christ, or a Christian spouse, and the like. Or, if the true pure gospel is not preached in their hometown or their country, Christ, in a wonderful way, often so directs their lives that the lost must go to another city, or even another land, where they finally come to hear Christ's voice and are found by Him. Yet, Christ-seeking embrace even more. Since most of those who hear Christ's voice have become so fond of their wrong way that they might not leave it, Christ is not merely concerned that his gospel is known to all the lost. They are also awakened and moved to, move to leave their wrong way. Christ takes the destiny of all men into his hands, by which he seeks them until he finds them. Many a person's heart clings to money, and especially earthly goods. Christ then lets them remain poor, or become poor again, that he might yearn for heavenly riches. Another seeks his heaven in good days and a comfortable life. Christ then sends him all manner of crosses, sicknesses, pains, and the like, in order that he might seek his true joy in Christ. Another person's heart clings to honor. Christ lets him fall into shame and contempt. Another's heart clings to his wife, children, good friends, and the like. Christ then takes them from him and lets him weep at the grave of his loved one. In other words, Christ ever guides him that he is torn from those worldly things which might hold him back. He makes the world bitter and awakens him to let him be found by Christ. All the changes of life are therefore ways on which Christ goes to meet him. Thus you see that Christ has already sought all of you. He has sought you from your childhood on. He sought you when you were baptized. He sought you whenever his gospel was preached to you. He sought you in your school, at your confirmation, whenever you came to his table. He sought you in all the events of your life. He has sought you also today, 
which led you into this church to hear his grace in which he accepts the lost? Have you also permitted yourselves to be found by him? Can you say, alas, formerly I went the way of the world and sin? Now, however, I graze on the green pastures of my shepherd's grace under his gentle staff. I no longer go my own way according to the ideas of my heart. I let myself be led by the friend of sinners. My dear hearer, if previously your heart clung to something which did not let Christ find you, let him no longer seek you in vain. Of course, you now consider your life without Christ's light burden, an easy yoke wonderful. Yet consider this, it must lead you to eternal ruin. For as the lamb, wandering about in the woods without the shepherd, must perish, so must you perish if you do not cling to the only shepherd of souls. Quickly repent in this hour, and all the angels will rejoice, and you will be blessed here and in eternity. Or have you not dared to draw near to Christ and take comfort in him, thinking that Christ would send you away because you were too unfaithful to him? Then consider this. Jesus receives sinners. He seeks the lost. You can become unfaithful, but Jesus is and remains faithful to you. You could forget him, but he could never forget you. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Isaiah 49. If you could break the covenant of your holy baptism, but Jesus had not broken it and can never break it, no matter how rebellious and unfaithful you have been. See, even now he has sought you again. He has again called to you, Come, you poor lost soul. Oh, do not hesitate, but say, You can have me, faithful shepherd, just as I am. You will be my shepherd, and I will be your sheep. And you, who already stand under his protection, remain with him. Let neither the alluring world entice you, nor the feeling of your sickness frighten you away from him. It often seems as if he has completely saken the ninety-nine who are saved, while he, in a friendly manner, goes after the one who is lost. However, he forsakes you only according to your feelings. He, in truth, remains with his own until the end of their wandering. For he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. John 10. To him be praise and honor forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life.
You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.